This Week in Retronauts, now you are playing with power. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode Retro 9. Whoa. <laughs> episode 19 of Retronauts. I don't know what happened. I thought happened. you were going for something else. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Parrish, your short-circuiting host for this episode. <laughs> and with me here in the musty vault of antiquity, we have... I'm Bob Mackey, and I have all the clues that you can use. <laughs> uh, I'm Ray Barnholt. Again, no funny nickname. <laughs> And uh, here with us in the studio is this episode's backer. Hey, uh, my name's Tyler Castro. And what are we doing today, Tyler? Uh, we're talking about Nintendo Power. And it's all your fault. I <laughs> know, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this actually, um, no, this, this is good. This is kind of a nice, um, it intersects nicely with our last episode of Retronauts, which was uh, focused on, you know, classic game magazines. And we kind of deliberately left Nintendo Power out of that mix because of this uh, this backer request. We knew this was coming. So, um, you know, you put those two together and you have a maybe not perfect view of video game magazine history, but at least a pretty darn good one. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. I think Nintendo Power is certainly important enough to devote a whole episode to. And I think, uh, you know, I've sort of pitched that idea around back then with older Retronaut stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think we ever really explored it to its fullest depth. Well, now here we go. Of course, you know, important from an American perspective, Nintendo Power was wholly an American phenomenon. Yes. Um, There were variations on the theme. Sure, but um, in its truest, most powerful form, (laughs) it happened here in the U.S. and Canada, I guess. Uh. Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, like... If you are from the UK, you're just going to be like, what the hell? Tell, me about, tell me about my mean machines and zap, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> they had Club Nintendo. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But it's still not the same thing. No. And, you know, no one over there cares. No, no. Yeah. Uh, and if you're <laughs> if you're a Japanese listener, you're going to be like, nandayo. Kodidatsuka. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you, you'll, you'll be confused because you had much cooler publications. We just yeah. had Nintendo Power. That was as close as we got to... Uh, Japanese style game magazines, aside from EGM's uh, uh, blatantly borrowed coverage and and Famitsu footage. Um, yes. So anyway, um, why don't we just hop right in and start talking about Nintendo Power? So Nintendo Power launched in mid-1988. Do you remember the exact month? Was it June? April? July, August? July, July August. So okay. oh, yeah, June was probably when it actually was signed out. Uh, yeah, so um, that was right about the time that Nintendo Mania was really hitting its shrill peak in America. <laughs> <laughs> and the point at which every child was like, Mom, get me a Nintendo! Um, yeah, so you know, I personally had acquired my own NES about half a year before that. Um, 
And I'm sure many of you, all of you, were giddy for the prospect of Nintendo games at that point. Oh, yeah. It was, it was really when the, yeah, it was when the U.S. market was really starting to mature, you know. Um, there was kind of that, you know, like we, we, we got Nintendo three years after Japan, well, almost three years. Um, and it, it took a little while for our market to sort of catch up. But uh, right around the time Nintendo Power launched was when the, the NES market itself really began to mature and the, uh, the library started to expand and, and venture on beyond, you know, in-ROM games and like the, the really early sort of primitive stuff. So um, it, was, it was a very carefully timed nuclear strike into the heart of American children to <laughs> get them hyped up for Nintendo games. But of course, Nintendo Power didn't begin there. It actually began um, about... Uh, when was the first issue of Nintendo Fun Club Newsletter? Was it early 1987, late 1986? Sure, it was 87 sometime. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, originally Nintendo had launched something called Nintendo Fun Club Newsletter. And, you know, the idea was pretty simple. You get an NES or NES games and you fill out the reply card and send it off. And all of a sudden you started getting this bi-monthly pamphlet to promote video games and offer tips and that sort of thing. And Nintendo Power evolved out of this. But Nintendo Fun Club Newsletter is an interesting enough entity on its own that we probably, you know, could talk about it for a bit. Did you guys ever have any copies of the... I came post uh, Fun Club, so uh-huh. I didn't get to start reading until about 92, 93. Yeah, same oh, here. Wow. Yeah, as I mentioned in the last episode, I've only seen it um, later. <laughs> Scans and things. Okay, well, <laughs> we can we can at least talk about that. Um, I mean, I never saw the original two issues myself. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone who had the the very earliest issues of Nintendo Fun Club newsletter. Um, but you know, the first two issues were tiny. Like the first issue was six pages, Duotone print, uh, like I think blue ink. And the second issue was ten pages. You know, just black and white with Duotone spot ink. Um, very very simple. Um, it was actually a lot like the other sort of promotional publications that game publishers were sending around out around that time. Not just you know Nintendo's third parties, but um, you know you you could um, get that sort of thing from computer companies and so on and so oh, forth. Sure. It was yeah. you know it was basically just like a promotional tip, a, a little flyer to say, hey, here's the cool stuff that's coming out. But very quickly it began to expand. With the third issue. Um, Nintendo Fun Club newsletter went full color. And uh, the uh, very first issue was The Legend of Zelda, which, you know, by that point had been out for a little while. But it was kind of the first official full coverage of the game that Nintendo uh, really dabbled in. And it, it coincided with the big marketing push for The Legend of Zelda. You know, the commercials. Uh, fortunately, the magazine was nothing like the commercials. There was no rapping, no, <laughs> no like, sprockets dude in, in a black turtleneck, none of that. <laughs> um, it was just, you know, like a really nice painting of, of Link on the cover. It was basically the, the uh, Japanese Famicom Disk System right. artwork uh, blown up to magazine size. Um, and there was a little bit of coverage on the inside as well as, you know, coverage for some other things. And the following episode or following issues – kind of pushed Nintendo's big first-party games or, you know, licensed in second-party games. So issue four was Punch-Out, issue five was RC Pro-Am, issue six uh, was Zelda Two, which actually didn't end up coming out until about, oh, more than a year after the Zelda Two issue of Fun Club Newsletter, maybe maybe slightly less than a year, but about a year. Oops. Um, 
And then finally, the last issue was sports games. Um, so those seven issues of Fun Club newsletter became progressively more, you know, larger and more complex, and you know, full of more detail. They they stopped being so much about advertisements um, and uh, became more about evangelizing content, about previews. Um, you know, I, I more reader input. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, it, you know, by the end, it was really pretty much a prototype Nintendo Power, but, mm-hmm. you know, at about a quarter of the length of the uh, the actual magazine. And, you know, there was there was some pretty cool stuff. Um, I remember the, uh, did I mention this last time, the Mystery Gamer that was actually Howard Phillips um, writing about reviews or, you know, writing basically reviews of games that came out and there was like a huge two-page spread that he wrote on The Goonies 2. Which um, yeah, you kind of yeah, yeah, alluded yeah. to it, but yeah, yeah, like <laughs> things like that were really kind of formative. I mean, the the coverage of Zelda two made the game look totally weird and different than the original Zelda, but at the yeah. same time, really enticing. They were they were really good at you know hyping stuff up, um, and I think they realized that you know like hey, we're really good at this, and people seem into it, and they they had a surely a massive subscriber base. So what they did was they transformed the Fun Club newsletter into a proper magazine and uh, relaunched it as Nintendo Power. And it was, you know, 100-some-odd pages, square-bound, pretty good print quality, um, good heavy cardboard, you know, not cardboard, but like thick paper stock on the cover, um, original compositions for the cover. You know, they didn't just use promo art from the the, the publishers of games. Right, yeah. (laughs) They actually, you know, for the first issue, made a diorama of Super Mario Brothers 2 with Mario, like a, a plasticine Mario jumping and holding a radish or carrot or whatever and being chased by a wart. Like, very, very distinctive, you know. Um, you, you did see a lot more original art back then, you know, PC Gamer Magazine and uh, uh, Computer Gaming World, you know. A lot of these magazines had original artwork, but but Nintendo, you know, they, they did their custom art to something that would really sort of appeal to uh, their audience, which was younger and uh, absolutely wanted Mario. So, you know, they get the, uh, the first issue coincided with sort of pre-release hype for Super Mario Brothers 2, which launched, you know, three or four months later. And um, they sent out millions and millions of copies of the magazine to everyone on their their survey list, and uh, it was an amazing advertising tool. Yeah. Millions and millions. What Carl Sagan said. Yes. <laughs> I almost did say it sound like Their first issue, Nintendo Power. Yeah. I was actually reading it this morning. Oh, oh. which one is it? <laughs> it's the first issue of Nintendo Power. It's the one with uh, Super Mario Brothers Two on the cover. Uh, Mario Two. Yeah. So the first one. How about your personal? No, you said your oh, sorry, personal. Your personal one. One. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, my personal first one. Oh gosh, um, it was a used copy 
of a Nintendo Power I found at um, a toy store back uh, where I used to live, and it was which one was it? It had Star Tropics on the cover. Mm. Okay, I don't remember what was inside that, and I couldn't find <laughs> what was inside that. But uh, I do distinctly remember that was my very okay, first sure. one. I just looked up mine. It's it's issue eleven, and what it came in it was a thirty six page like booklet called the Pack Source, mm-hmm. which listed every game out at that point and like little write ups of them all. So it was a really interesting resource. It looked like this. Well, the, the issue oh, yeah, yeah, the, the Mario three one. Mario three mm-hmm. cover which again, had the same plasticine, plasticine Mario. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they they did that. It was either plasticine covers or uh, photographs. Right. The second issue was Castlevania two, where they had. Um, an armored knight holding Dracula's severed head, and apparently right. got complaints from parents <laughs> about that. Uh, you know, the I, I was always a little uh, put off by the fact that the initial version of that had Dracula's severed head shooting eye beams. Like if you, <laughs> really? if you look, okay. at, yeah, if you look at issue one of Nintendo Power, it has like you know a little promo card showing what the next oh, couple of issues yeah. are going to be, and. Um, it's the same cover, but for whatever reason, Dracula's shooting lasers out yeah. of his eyes. They took that out. Huh, that was a little too intense. I, I guess. <laughs> it always struck me as being really weird, but you know, at the same time, I was like, hey, wait a minute. This is different. Yeah. Um, the third issue was uh, Zelda 2 again. And a live-action cover as well. Yes. well and it, yeah. was, uh, it was a woman dressed as Link uh, being shot from behind, uh, looking into a, ga- a gauzy canopy bed with a uh, a mannequin dressed as Zelda. Mm. Was it a mannequin? I'm pretty that, sure it was a mannequin. So that's that was, creepy. That was my first one. I don't think it was number three because then there was like a track and field one. Oh, it was track like, and three, field three? Okay, just like like maybe big, Zelda was four. Was, yeah, that one the, was just like a heel of a shoe. Yeah. <laughs> it was a like, well, shoe. I could no, verify track it and field is three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It wasn't just a shoe. It was a shoe with rockets on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Rocket shoes. Rocket shoes. Oh, wow. Two shoes. Yeah. So I had that Zelda, own. that Zelda 2 one was my first one, and uh, that was even before – no, wait, it was. I'm sorry. I had gotten Zelda 1, and so I that had the subscription card for N- Nintendo Power, so I decided to finally take the plunge mm-hmm. then, and then I got the one about Zelda 2, and I think there's some stuff about uh, you know, the WrestleMania game and Sesame Street stuff, and yeah, that one sticks with me. <laughs> Yeah, initially the magazine was bi-monthly, but um, yeah. it went it went monthly pretty quickly. By late ninety, I think. Yeah, didn't they By start nin- doing yeah. every other yeah. was like a player's guide? Yeah, well, that might have started with Mario 3's player's yeah. guide. And they did that for like four well, I four guess eight issues. months. Yeah. And then then they went full monthly. Yeah, I mean they kind of did like the retronauts, retronauts pocket thing, basically. Yeah, <laughs> we're just we're just ripping them off. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Oh, I guess we <laughs> doesn't really matter. So you you get the, the regular Nintendo power one month and then you'd get like the sort of slim Mm-hmm. Game specific strategy guide. There was, uh, let's see, there was Super Mario Brothers, Ninja Gaiden Two, Final Fantasy, and four player sports games. Four player, yeah. so well, weird. Four player extra. Yeah, just four player. It wasn't just sports games. Yeah. Oh also yeah, had that's right. It was all the four player games that yeah. were coming out. Yeah. So. With the NES, uh, what the hell was the, the four player adapter? The four there play? was the NES Satellite no. and the NES Four Score. Yeah, should have been called Four Play. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> No, none of us kids would have known what that meant. It would have been fine. Four score is enough of a euphemism, I'd say. I <laughs> uh, that's, that's more or like uh, Gettysburg Address. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say it's a euphemism for Abe Lincoln. Um, so I don't want to be the only one talking. You guys uh, have any thoughts on the early, like the, the very, oh, I guess I should mention my first issue of Nintendo Power was the first issue of Nintendo Power wow. since I was already on the mailing list. And, you know, when that showed up uh, unbidden in the mail, I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. Oh, my God. I have to buy Super Mario Brothers 2 now. Oh, not until December. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> it worked. I did feel as a child, I mean, um, I haven't read an issue in a while, and I, I really should go back and check them out just for the, the 
crazy layouts, but I feel like what made it succeed was it talked to kids on their level. Mm-hmm. Like it understood the enthusiasm. And I believe every issue had a um, a card where you just you kind of voted for games. And then mm-hmm. every issue, it would have like all the games that were ranked by according to the readers. I'm not sure I if was, they were lying about that, but uh, I don't know. I was I think there was probably a little bit of fudging going on there. Like yeah. here's a game that we probably ought to promote a little bit. So let's say it's number one or number three. Yeah. Can't be number one. Can't displace Super Mario Brothers three. Yeah, well, but you know, anytime. Remember, Anytime something like that I really liked, like uh, Metal Gear or whatever, showed up in the top three or five, I believe. Yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah. People like the games I like. Yeah. Well, all the Japanese magazines have those as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know really how they tabulate that stuff. It's, I mean, it, it, probably survey stuff, but then there's also sections for like how, what, what's hot with the retailers as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think they actually sent out retailer polls. I don't know. Okay. Was or that called Pack Watch? Oh, wait, that was a preview that section. That was a preview yeah. section. Yeah. I do know uh, what you're was, talking about, though. It had, like, the three columns, and, like, one was, like, the player, and right. one was the pro, and yeah. one was the, yeah, like, yeah. the business mm-hmm. retailer, retailer yeah. maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pro, I think, was just, like, what's popular around Nintendo yeah. Power Headquarters. Probably. Basically. But, um, but Ray, you, you did mention the fact that, you know, this was something that Japanese publications did, and it's probably worth talking about the Japanese connection with, uh, with Nintendo Power. The, the magazine was... Uh, sort of established and headed up by Gail Tilden, who was the vice president of marketing at the time. Yeah, um, and then her, you know, her Mister Riker was uh, uh, was Howard Phillips, who uh, had did been, he sit you know, weird too? Yeah, he probably <laughs> just climbed. He's yeah. he's a pretty tall guy, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. probably just climbed over seats. <laughs> um, he was kind of you know like the uh, the boy wonder, I guess, of of yeah. Nintendo. He was kind of their carnival barker. Yeah, kind of. But I mean, before that, I yeah, mean. like. I don't know exactly where he got a start, but he was kind of, you know, I think largely responsible for helping to curate the game selection and yeah, also, you know, right. had a lot to do with the tone. Like you said, it, it talked to kids on their level, not down to them. I can tell you, um, I saw his GDC, no, sorry, uh, Classic Gaming Expo talk in 2012. I, I would look that up if you can. I'm sure it's online. But uh, he was basically their everyman. He was doing, like, inventory in their warehouses. He was playing games. He was helping with Nintendo Power. He was just like... The the kind of white guy Nintendo for a while uh, on the um, <laughs> yeah. in America yeah 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 he was their uh, all reaching pro that you know their go to guy for anything because mm-hmm. I guess he was young enough as well and he could mm-hmm. offer some insight into you know the quality of the products that was coming in and he still claims that he has finished every Nintendo game up until he left the company like in nineteen ninety or ninety one and I I, mm-hmm. I I'm seriously skeptical about it I don't want to say he's lying but there are some games I'm like you really beat Deadly Towers or something like Dragon's Lair or Gogo thirteen even I mean I've like, beaten Gogo thirteen oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want to know what happens at the end? Uh, you you look back at your wasted life. No, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You get in there and you f- there's Hitler, but right. they couldn't call him Hitler, so they call him Smirk, and okay. it's a clone of him. And it's like uh, his actual brain is in a jar. Yeah. But then there's like these clones that are talking to you and talking about how they're going to kill you. So what you have to do is you have to like shoot the clones and then you have to destroy the cloning tanks. And then once you've taken out all the guns and all the the tank emplacements. Um, then you turn around and for some reason the, the jar with the brain in it starts floating up and you go into sniping mode and you snipe <laughs> Hitler's brain. Yep. Well, wow. That game's kind of amazing, I guess it does pay off in the end, all, the, all of that struggle. Okay. It's, it's really good. <laughs> I mean, that's a misplaced nostalgia game too. Yeah. Well, we haven't done that episode yet, but um, <laughs> in the future we'll be talking about misplaced nostalgia and I won't mention that game, but let me tell you, it's, it's right there. But um, how do we get talking about Golgo 13? Oh, right. Uh, Howard, yeah, Howard Phillips. Phillips. I, I believe that he beat it. He's, yeah. He's he's that kind of guy. Mm. Save states. So we're, we were starting to talk about the Japan side of things as well. And so like the 
first seed of Nintendo Power is actually a family computer magazine from Japan, published by Tokuma Shoten, who became Nintendo of America's publishing partner for Nintendo Power. So, I mean, a lot of layouts in the design of the magazine came from you know their staff. And uh, you can really see this as if uh, you look at the earlier issues of Nintendo Power, you can see this in their table of contents and then compare it against like an issue of Family Computer Magazine at the same time. The style of the table of contents is almost exactly the same in terms well, of like the color bars and right. things that you... And like half the staff are more than that mentioned in the, the masthead is, yes. is Japanese. Right, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of design people on the Japanese side and then the editorial uh, slash advisory whatever came from, you know, their, the American staff. And uh, yeah, it was interesting because, you know, you would think that having such a big Japanese presence in the thing would give them more access to, say, you know, Nintendo's Japanese staff. And, you know, maybe wouldn't it be nice if Miyamoto would chime in or something? But no, that never happened. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just Nintendo's closed culture and how yeah. much of it was them deliberately abstracting the Japanese origins of Nintendo. Because at the time, Nintendo, well, Japan was very unpopular in America. Yeah. There was, you know, this really. huge scare because Japan was experiencing its its economic miracle and was buying up a lot of American resources, they, such as the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. you know, there was just this general distrust of Japan in America. So really the, the biggest time they ever featured, like, Japanese developers was when they did, like, a feature on the making of Mario 3. Yeah. And there was these photos of the development staff, you know, plugging away at their computers and stuff. And it's just like, oh, God, okay, these are who makes these games. Yeah. I remember I was looking at the first issue today, and I remember um, that I had read that Nintendo Power had been designed by, you know, the, the Japanese, and they had done the, the art over there. But when I was reading the issue, the art uh, the artwork to me felt like it was very American. There were some things in the, the Super Mario Brothers 2 section that was very Japanese to me, but for some reason, like, all of the, like, the player's pulse and all those sections, a lot of that artwork mm. just, it kind of screamed American to me, and so it was fascinating to me mm. that... I had read that it had been yeah. done. See, I've, I've always thought the artwork looked kind of like Japanese illustrators trying to look American. <laughs> and, you know, they, they were really good at, at finding um, Japanese illustrators with sort of an international flair. Mm. Right. Um, Katsuya Tarada did a lot of artwork for Nintendo Power, and he is a Japanese illustrator, but, like, his work does not look particularly Japanese. You know, it's not what people think of as Japanese yeah. art. And so he did things like the Dragon Warrior Strategy Guide and... Um, like anything that had to do with with RPGs, he did yeah. uh, Zelda two illustrations, hmm. and they're just like these amazing illustrations. They're just really great, and they kind of transcend any sort of nationalism uh, in terms of their stylistic approach. They're just really nice illustrations, very detailed, and he did a really great job of taking these very abstract eight bit games and saying, like, what must this be like, you know, as a real experience? So you have you know like illustrations mm-hmm. of Link kind of cowering against a, a, a massive uh, marble pillar as mm. Ganon stalks him in the background. Did he very, also do the cool Final stuff. Fantasy coverage uh, the art so. for that? I remember <laughs> yeah. that being very evocative. Well, of, he uh, didn't do the cover of the Final Fantasy strategy guide. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, but it has like <laughs> this tiny airship with like four <laughs> yeah. warriors of light and like the, the oh, I forgot bearded elderly wizard. Okay. <laughs> like they, they barely fit. It's like a hot air balloon yeah. or something. It's comical. <laughs> well, it's accurate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Torado was great as well. <clears throat> I guess. I guess now we'll just talk a bit about the artists. But uh, I do, I uh, do agree with what you were saying, Tyler. Is that especially the guy or whoever they got for those uh, those little incidental arts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
was very uh, squiggly, kind of American cartoonish, kind of like Fido Dido. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Kind of like stuff you'd find on the bottom of a surfboard or something. Mm. And then, uh, <laughs> and then there was a uh, Shuji Imai who was the original artist for Howard and Nestor. And uh, thank yeah. you for I, I had no idea, and like I love his art so much. Yeah, and yeah, really good stuff. He'd also done he later did work for some Japanese strategy guides as well. Like I have these Super Mario World guides that are like half height books and he does little comics in the beginning of those as well mm. and so yeah very 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 distinctive style until uh 91 or so when they got an american guy to redo it so after much worse <laughs> also yeah. uh, charlie nozawa who did their uh, super mario adventures comics mm-hmm. which is like the the first instance of uh well there's a lot of like crazy stuff in that comic like a lot yes. of dressing in drag uh, oh yeah but it also gives us like uh peach as a mario brother which is a, yeah which is think, an idea I that needs peach, to be made peach and luigi's outfit is like a a, 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 a formative sexual moment oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> sure. this, this, this changes everything um <laughs> but no yeah his his um his his Cartoons were really a lot of fun. Uh, to me, I've always been most impressed with the uh, Link to the Past cartoon. Yeah. That was in like 92, 93, right. uh, where they actually got a legendary manga creator, Shotara Ishinomori of uh, Cyborg Number 9. Yeah, there's um, a very Cyborg Number 9 looking character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like the kind of pointed yeah. beak nose. Yeah. yeah. Um, like they had him just kind of rewrite the story to A Link to the Past, it's very different than the game story, but it just kind of goes off right. on its own. Like, it touches on some of the familiar moments, like, oh, there's a giant Moldorm in the Sand Palace and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's its own thing. And, like, this is, you know, I mean, he's not at the level of Osamu Tezuka, but he's still very established. Like, it would be like getting, you know, Steve Ditko or someone mm-hmm. to do a cartoon about your your video game characters. It's... That's that's pretty heady stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of amazing. And I'm not sure who did them, but there were also Star Fox and Super Metroid comics that were really good looking, like incredibly like <laughs> realistic were, and detailed. Those were Just, done by a guy named uh, Benny Maru Ito. Mm, okay. Oh, do you, yeah, yeah, do we yeah. know what else he's yeah. done? I can't Anything notable? off the top of my head. Yeah, he's, he's he's been around. He's worked with Nintendo before on things. I just can't remember off the yeah. top of my head. The uh, the Star Fox comic was super dramatic. Just like the uh, well, I, I guess it wouldn't get that melodramatic until the N64 game, but it was it was maybe just a premonition of what would come. Yeah. jumping around I, I, I think I, different I, things fine. to talk about I don't know if this is, I mean like let me know okay well we'll contest I want to talk about contests and well, the, before, oh, before we oh, do that okay um, to me you know the the influx of the Japanese content the the, the prevalence of that the sensibility is, well not the sensibility or, just the the preponderance of it okay is kind of amazing because you know this is pre-internet this was not like they could just send PDFs back and forth online. Like, they had to collaborate by mail, by fax, by phone, probably not so much by phone. I think they actually went to Japan uh, based on the talk that um, Howard gave. Probably, yeah, yeah probably they just, so. like, would fly over there, work on a bunch of stuff, and then fly back. I mean, yeah, it was not a, a trivial endeavor. This, yeah. was, this was a much harder way to go about things than just by, you know, having a bunch of dudes in a sweatshop in America do it or have it all produced in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they really made a collaborative effort and went to 
a great deal of trouble to do so. But you know, there was you know as easy as it is to ding Nintendo Power for being so gushing and so gee golly, what a great game! Yeah. Like there was a, a you know in the early issues especially a real uh, focus put on quality, and um, you know I, I think that you recognize that when you read it. I mean, it's it's for kids and it's kind of a, a visual explosion of messiness, mm-hmm. but you know, there's there's substance underneath it. When you're a kid, that visual explosion of messiness is really all you <laughs> yeah. need to make you happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I can remember certain layouts from the magazine. I, like I totally remember the Maniac Mansion layout mm-hmm. and how like insanely crazy it got me about that game just because it was pointing out how weird and different it was from everything else that I played. Yeah. All, all, while, giving, all while giving away a lot of puzzles, but still um, really interesting. The, for some reason, the like the, the game I remember reading about the most in Nintendo Power is Monsters in My Pocket, which uh-huh. I never actually played. I just read about it a lot. <laughs> it's pretty good. and oh, It's actually pretty good. That's, yeah, it's Konami. I, I love Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Not quite. Um, but I just remember something about like the way it was laid out and you know seeing the levels and everything. It just made me really excited about it, even though I totally never played it. Never convinced my parents to buy it for me. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, the contests. There were these crazy contests, and like issue in issue fifty of Nintendo Power, they went over like, oh, the the contest we had to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger for Total Recall was like a huge failure. The kid met him for like a second, and then that was it. It was like the terrible experience. But um, I remember one of the uh, one of the contests that just like boggled my mind. Like how did, how how did they do this? Was the Final Fantasy contest where it's like mm-hmm. we will send you and four other people to an island where you'll solve mysteries and fight monsters and do all this stuff and just like how they would do this in, in my head as a kid. It's like I need to win this contest, and I think <laughs> just by voting in their in their monthly polls, you would be entering the contest. I never won anything, but yeah. later, uh, many 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 years later, maybe like five years ago, one of those crystal balls surfaced. Yeah. I forget how much it sold for, but it, it was like engraved. Oh, it I don't think it's. I don't think it's sold. The dude wanted like a million dollars. Uh, yeah, oh, I think wow. it was like like five figures, you know, just yeah. to sell that. But um, I want to know what happened during that con. Like, what did they do? I so, kind of so, pictured as like larping on an island. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if you've ever seen those um, those European Dragon Quest commercials where they have the dudes dressed up as like the characters from Dragon Quest uh, Five. Okay. Oh. Uh, it's like those commercials, I think. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Except with kids. God, I can't So imagine. somewhere between Dragon Quest V commercials from Europe and the Goonies. Okay. Oh, those are Japanese commercials. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, I thought they were European. No, they just have Europeans in them. <laughs> oh, my confusion. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to mention that contest because it just I still think about it. The yeah, Fantasy they, they, had some, they had some pretty crazy contests. I mean, you know, some of them were just kind of like send in your card, blah, blah, blah. But some of them were really in-depth. You know, they had like send us your game ideas and we'll mm, we'll publish yeah. the best game idea. We won't actually turn oh, it into a game. Me. But yeah, no, go. Uh, but, uh, you know, like the winner for that was uh, a young J. Scott Campbell yes, who yes, would go yes. on to be a famous comic artist and uh, – like the prospectus he sent in for this video game is just ridiculous. It's so elaborate. He had like yeah. all these boss designs and you can look at it and you're like, well, you know, that's a kid drawing it. But I can still see mm. J. Scott Campbell. Look at those girls' legs. They're yeah. like three <laughs> times longer than their torsos. Yeah, yeah that's um, him art. But I mean, yeah, it was kind of like J. Scott Campbell trying to do Rob Liefeld art. Uh, so. Mm. A little, a little mm-hmm. sad, but you know, you got to start somewhere. Yes. And, you know, like the just the the reams of content he sent them, like this incredibly well thought out world. I mean, it was pretty obvious that you know this was not some 
just some random kid. Like, yeah, I remember this was that. going to be you know a visual storyteller. Something. Yeah, yeah. I, I was reading that. I was I was just like envisioning the game that he was making. And it was all very clear. He had like what the bosses would do, what like the enemies would do, what the hero would do, like just so, so thought out from his perspective. I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that, to my knowledge, J. Scott Campbell's never made a video game or like worked on one. There was there was Danger Girl. There was, but yeah, I mean, did but, he uh, really yeah. work? I don't on think that? so. No. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of just probably like copying off a Tomb Raider or whatever. There's probably like this this little sad child in his heart crying because mm-hmm. he's like, I want to make my own video game. Like, dude can go indie. He's probably got just yeah. tons of money in the bank. Those image books. Yes. <laughs> God dang. <laughs> but the uh, the first issue of Nintendo Power, if we could go back to that, mm-hmm. um, really set the tone for the magazine. Like going forward, uh, it's it's kind of surprising, you know, all through the history of Nintendo Power until the future years. Like it really kind of used the uh, the first issue as a template, you know. It evolved and changed right. over time. Um, there became this sort of tone of pompous desperation as you know you <laughs> yeah. entered the N sixty four era, um, and there wasn't really that much to talk about. Oh, but yeah. um, but you know, like all through it, throughout the the history of the magazine, it had this this uh, emphasis on previews. On strategies, on tips, um, what else? Uh, lots of screenshots, mm-hmm. lots of screenshot maps. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was actually yeah. kind of amazing. Like they they really went to um, great trouble, not just to cheerlead for games, but also to offer tips and hints for you know people who bought the video games. So like guide content was kind of woven throughout the right. texture of the magazine. Right. So, you know, you'd have Even things like... Howard and Esther. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like, some of them were, were masquerading. I have three kinds of tips that I that I broke out, which are overt, where you had, you know, like, the... Uh, what was it called with the... Classified information. Yeah, classified uh, information. Yeah. Counselor's Corner was another one. Yes. Yeah. So, two different versions mm-hmm. of, of tips, like... There were the ones that readers reader sent in, which was classified information, right. and then there was you know the Q and A section, which was like save yourself you know ninety cents per minute by yeah. reading <laughs> yeah. these questions from our game counselors, um, and then there were just kind of like the general you know, sort of wide ranging ones, which were you know all the the screenshot maps and just um, you know descriptions of of what a game was like that also gave hints on how to best enemies and and overcome challenges in the course of the preview. Those would never show the whole game. It would show like the first level, sometimes the first two levels. If it was a really big game, you know, they might show several levels. Right. But they would just kind of get you started. Um, and then finally you had, you know, the the sneaky stuff, the incognito stuff. Howard and Nestor yeah. uh, comics. I mean, the second issue's Howard and Nestor comic was invaluable for me playing uh, Simon's Quest. Yes. Because it, it gave <laughs> some valuable tips. Yeah. And, you know, but it was presented in a really fun way. It was like a cartoon. Um, right. And they could have, you know, they could have gotten mo- many more tips than that onto a single page, or actually two pages. It was a two-page spread. Mm-hmm. Like it could have been, you know, dense with tip, tip content, but it was really about presentation. And so they were really, you know, tried to make this information much more fun than than something like tips and tricks would would end up being. I mean, yeah, that that magazine or, had its, you know, <laughs> that, that that magazine had its own function, which was to just give you mm-hmm. g- hints and guides for. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Whereas or, Nintendo Power was more curated, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or opposed to Game Pro, where it's like pro tip enemies on level three are harder than on level two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a caption for like every screenshot, like thanks. Mm-hmm. You could give us a map or something. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was a kid staring at those maps and seeing how 
painstaking it must have been to actually create those things because you would look at them and follow them and you could see where the screen breaks were yeah. and like yeah. you'd see the yeah. characters repeated and everything and I, I would just sit there and be like this is really cool and it's really helpful but kind of yeah for something like Ninja Gaiden you're like right? how many times did you die right. to bring me this photo <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you thank you anonymous photo screen taker pretty much yeah and, um, and there yeah there there were anecdotes like that I think uh Probably the same things Bob was looking at where, you know, I think Gail Tilton or whoever was talking about how they were doing that and putting together those things. And again, just going back and forth from to Japan and just like piecing it all together. Well, there were even in, sort of oh, backbreaking labor. There were even instructions in the magazine as to how to photograph your own television because they had a uh, up until a certain point they had you know top oh, score right. section. Yeah. So right. I'm sure I don't know when that was phased out. Eventually it was, but um, yeah, Pretty probably much. when games stopped being about score. Yeah. Yeah, but like every screenshot in Nintendo Power was photographed up through, I think, you know, the early 2000s, even past that. Mm. It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like some are slightly light. Like when they were stitched together, some mm-hmm. are slightly yeah. lighter than others. Right. And like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they'd say like Especially, turn your, your uh, flash off, things yeah. like that. And it's worse when you can see other magazines on the shelf who have much better screenshots who are either getting them themselves or being provided. Yeah. It's just like, come on, Nintendo Power. There were some <laughs> it's exceptions. It's 1998, yeah. get a card or something. There were, there were a few exceptions. Like I was talking before the show, the, the Mario 3 guy, which I love, and I like I memorized it. Um, all the maps are hand-drawn yes. and then like shrunk I think down. Wasn't the whole Mario Mania guide, like weren't all the maps hand-drawn? I mean, that, that covered... I think Mario Mania was Mario different. Mania had oh. um, screenshots, I do Did remember. It? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all a blur in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the player's guides, that's, you know, that was like the second arm of Nintendo Power that was also, you know, a big, I mean, big juicer for nostalgia for me at least. Because um, we mentioned those four guides that they sort of used as issue replacements. And uh, it started with that Mario 3 guide, which was pretty great, as Bob was just saying, mm-hmm. you know, sort of these hand drawn or at least, you know, very carefully computer drawn piece together maps. And also you have like these, uh, these chapters, these title pages for these chapters, with the, like, it's a giant, great original Mario art. Yeah, I love illustrations. that. Yeah, and then uh, you know, so that foursome of magazines sort of led into separate players' guides, uh, Nintendo's own strategy guides, basically, and they would cover hot games or games that they thought would be hot. So obvious things like Super Mario World, Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. Uh, later on, like Super Street Fighter, I mean Street Fighter Two Turbo and things, right? And, and those would typically be a subscription's incentives. So right, if right. you got a subscription, you would get like four guides throughout the year, or mm-hmm, maybe two mm-hmm. or three, depending on what when you subscribe. Yeah. So yep. before I think they would just give you like a little pin. Like there were tiers of subscriptions. Yes. Well, God, God, for a while they would give you Dragon Warrior. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's part of, of it. But uh, yeah, guys here, please take this game. <laughs> but like I, I think magazines used to do this all the time. I, I know like Mad Magazine. Like the longer you subscribe, the better reward you'll get. This is, this I don't. Is, I don't think yeah. Nintendo Power did that. I know there were like like you you get the bronze wings if you subscribe for one year. You get the silver wings yeah, for two years. They did do like, that. Yeah. Huh. You know, I subscribed for years and I don't remember getting those little wings. Man, but you missed out. You could have been a Nintendo Power. I might have just thrown. You had to be like a new subscriber. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. They do that stuff a lot too. I see. But yeah, I, I always um, kind of strategized when I would renew my subscription to right. determine which uh, which of the guides I would get. Yeah. Because there yeah. were some really great ones. Oh I mean, God. I had, I had the ones for, um, you know, obviously the Mario Mania guide, the NES mm-hmm. Atlas, the Game Boy, um, Super Metroid, A Link to the Past. And then after a while, um, you started to be able to buy them at stores. So yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy III and Chrono Trigger I actually bought at um, at Best Buy, I think. And those were my first video game strategy guys that I bought, you know, hmm. conspicuously, you know, individually with my own money. But it was also part of, 
I think, a strategy to combat the unauthorized Nintendo guys yeah, that were right. being sold at the stores right. originally. And it's just like, you know, now it's homegrown from Nintendo Power and, you know, uh, better produced for, for sure. Yeah, but again, they they gave you really great access to stuff. Like the Final Fantasy III guide, Final Fantasy VI, um, was just full of original Yoshitaka Amano artwork that mm-hmm. you know yeah. you'd never saw anywhere. I mean, it, the the cover to the guide was the Japanese cover with Terra mm-hmm. um, riding the Magitech armor with Vector, the city of Vector in the background. Which like that's what made me buy that. I was like, whoa, this is a really cool vision. Yeah. Like I recognize this as something from the game, but I've never seen it illustrated like this. And you know, like they they really hadn't <laughs> uh, shown you know the 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 class the uh, the actual Japanese uh, Amano artwork for Final Fantasy IV before. The uh, Final Fantasy or Final Fantasy games before the Final Fantasy two slash four artwork and into no power was uh, notoriously terrible. It had nothing to do yeah, <laughs> with uh, with the actual game itself. Like the characters were just bizarre. Mm-hmm. I think that really that uh, strategy guide design really peaked with the Earthbound guide, just because it is mm-hmm. like fun to read on its own. There's so much extra information in it, just because of the way it's presented to you as a travel guide. Um, just, just so great, and, and I'm glad Nintendo made it available for free online just to read. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Nintendo Power uh, approach to strategy guides actually informed uh, Nintendo manual design for mm-hmm. their games. I don't know if you remember the uh, the original Final Fantasies manual, but um, you know it was double height for an NES right. manual. It wasn't the the little narrow thing. It was uh, tall, right? And it was probably like 80 pages long, and um, you know it had kind of the basic gameplay. Uh, details and like how to play this and here's what stuff does uh, but then you know like the last half of the the manual was actually a walkthrough uh, for the first few hours of the game oh, yeah, right. like yeah. several That's missions yeah. several maps I think Square even did that I mean they took that idea and ran with it with when they self-published stuff as well mm-hmm. and you know that was on top of the, the huge fold-out maps that they included you know like uh, <laughs> Legend of Zelda style so they were you know I feel like Nintendo Power was part of a an overall strategy to create sort of appealing packaging that at the same time encouraged people to uh, go out and buy our video games. Yeah, yeah, I totally never recognized as a kid that it was 100% a marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, it was so incredibly obvious. But as a kid, I just I loved it. It was great, and there were no ads within the magazine for a while at least, um, at least only in the front and the back if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, I just loved it, and it the enthusiasm, I think, kind of rubbed off on me, and I think a lot of my friends that read it um, felt the same way. Yeah, but it's because they put so much effort into it, yeah. not seeming like a big marketing ploy. Compare that to, like, Sega Visions, which was obviously yeah. just this huge pitch thing, and they it was very much a copycat production, and they it was not nearly as good, and it was more obviously an ad all the time. Yeah, I, I will say this, you know, even though Nintendo Power was pretty much just a naked marketing tool <laughs> in its early years. Um, like, they were, there was a certain uh, ethic about the approach they took. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Howard Phillips did uh, curate the content, you would have extensive blowouts on the games that they thought, like, these are really great games. And then you would have games that were perhaps not so great, um, reduced to thumbnails in the back. Like, you know, the the first issue, I think, um, has like a little thumbnail for Galgo 13, but that's about as much coverage as Galgo 13 ever got in Nintendo Power. <laughs> Clash at Demon Head, you know, like these kind of niche games that maybe are a little rough yeah. around the edges. They're not, you know, they're not first party quality 
um, they're, However, they're maybe not super appealing to the, the general audiences. Those tended to get kind of downplayed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The great exception to that is that they gave a cover story to Metal Storm. I think they were just yeah. um, hard up for content for that I, one. <laughs> Metal I'm, Storm I'm was great. They, it, it was. <laughs> I love Metal Storm. Yeah. It was really niche, but yeah. I I wouldn't have known about the game or bought it if I hadn't seen that yeah. cover. But yeah, as a cover, I mean, jeez. I mean, it's crazy even, enough. Like, they made their own little model of the, the mm-hmm. M308 or whatever it's yeah. called, the yeah. suit. Like that was uh, – yeah, that was – there were occasionally exceptions like that. But, um, you know, first and foremost, it was pushing Nintendo first-party content. Um, then pushing really like top tier. This is going to be you know selling gangbusters, uh, third party content. So you know you you had games like Mega Man Two and Mega Man Three, which were really big, that got their own covers. And um, Mega Man Two had more of the plasticine. I think Mega mm-hmm. Man Three just had a really crappy, like incredibly crappy drawing of Mega Man. It was actually worse than the the Capcom artwork. Like that's the that's the yeah. point at which the yeah. the Ouch. flip switched. Like. The Mega Man 3 American box art wasn't that bad, uh, but the Nintendo Power cover, wow. I don't know what happened there. It was like Impressionist by way of Paint Shop Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was a there was like a weird, uh, I'm sorry if I missed it, but the weird like plasticine Dr. Wily in the ship. Yeah, oh, he had yeah. like tufts of actual hair. Yeah, oh, was, was Mega Man on that cover or was just Dr. Yeah, he Wily? Was. Okay. He was wearing, um, well, he was like riding one of the, the little... Um, Items, mm-hmm. but for some reason he was, you know, in, in yeah. the colors for the the fire, the atomic heat. That bothered me as a kid. <laughs> he is not that color when he uses item number two. Yeah, damn no. it, God. Mario, I just Mario isn't that color in Super Mario Bros. Two either on no. the first issue. <laughs> I want that Maniac Mansion sculpture just as like a oh, like as a desk, something on to put on a desk or something. It's just so uh, I, magnificent. I'd I love, love it. I'd love access to any of those original Nintendo Power you know, yeah, diorama uh, compositions. Like the Metal Storm suit or, you know, yeah. the Jeez. Mega Man diorama. Or that whatever. bad picture of Jack Nicholson. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I think that's because uh, they get, didn't get the likeness rights of um, Michael Keaton. I thought there was some kind of, like, dust-up about that. Yeah, some, yeah, something like that. But they um, could use Jack Nicholson. Yeah. No, I mean. It was a rumor. I remember reading um, pretty recently, actually, a retrospective from someone who worked at Sunsoft who um, – said Michael Keaton was like, oh, I need you to change this image of me slightly, but like, I think that was about the extent mm. of, of the problems they had there. I don't know if it was a Nintendo Power issue, but yeah, there's Bob that Mega Man artwork. The Mega Man 3. Oh, come yeah. What is wrong? What's going on with Russia's face? We need to post some of these pictures to the uh, inner internet. Actually, you know, let me see that again. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's actually based on the Mega Man 3 Famicom box art. Yeah, they're basically like his, yeah. pose, his pose and the Sorry. placement of Rush in front of him. Yeah. That's yep. taken from the, the Japanese box, but it's just done horribly. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. Is. Bring back the plasticine. <laughs> but anyway, as I was saying, like Mega Man 2 and Mega Man 3 made the cover, but once Mega Man kind of became just more of the same every year, they stopped paying attention to that in favor of stuff like Battletoads and even Vice Project Doom. Yes. Like that was bigger than Mega Man three or, or four or five. I think or even like Darkwing Duck got a cover. It did, it did yeah. yeah, yeah. Which was basically like a Mega Man game, but mm-hmm. with half the content. <laughs> so four That's, bosses instead of eight. Yep, that was my first one. Yeah, yep. We'll see. So something else that strikes me about the covers themselves is that uh, for a while, for a few years there, they were very sparse with text. I mean, mm-hmm. you bring, compare this again to any other Japanese magazine, where it's just like wall of text <laughs> on the cover every time. 
like Nintendo Power's covers were just like, okay, here's the cover story, and then maybe a couple of their highlights in the issue. And that was it. I mean, it was fairly small uh, type as well. So, I mean, that just strikes me as an interesting visual approach to something where they could have just made it a big, loud thing. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have to because yeah. they weren't competing for your attention at retail. They they yeah. weren't on bookshelves at that point. My point is that they were smart enough to right. you know, realize that and it's just like, yeah, okay. I mean, cool that, that's always been sort of, uh, you know, the need to compete in bookstores has always been to the detriment of magazine covers. And I remember having this conversation back at Zip Davis, you know, <laughs> like there was even discussion of like, can we do, you know, subscriber only covers that are clean and elegant as opposed to the ones at retail where we have to like, you know, put every big game that we're going to have in this magazine on the cover so someone will, you know, notice it and want it. Um, so I think that was kind of the GMR approach actually. Mm-hmm. Because GMR um, was was published through uh, EB, EB Games, yeah. um, you know they were they were able to go a lot more minimal with their covers because you know they didn't have to they didn't have to sell it to you. It was just it would come in the mail to you. On the other side of that, you had OPM's like thirty Def Jam covers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah, that was that was right. kind of its own thing. That's one yeah. of those stunt things, like when Edge does, you know. Mm-hmm. 200 issues, 200 covers or whatever. <laughs> yes. Like the 200 greatest games of all time. Is that's that what right. they did recently? Yeah. Yeah. Something like, like that's, that. That's really granular. Wow. That's good. Good job, guys. It's a small country. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thankfully so like, there, there was one to... copy of each cover printed. Yeah. Nintendo Bauer did not have that problem. Interiors tended not to be so clean as no. the, uh, no. the covers. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that was yeah. That's also like a great dichotomy there. Yeah. Another great thing was that the magazine was totally ad free. So when it was a hundred pages long, it was a hundred pages long until like ninety seven. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, they it went a long time before they started taking advertisements because you know I guess ostensibly the magazine itself was an advertisement, but <laughs> you know they I don't I, I think they were pretty strict about not you know like necessarily giving favoritism to any one publisher it was really based on the quality of the games um yeah and you know even sometimes um they would have ulterior motives um instead of you know promoting necessarily great games they were like well role-playing games are really big in japan we want these role-playing games to be big in america so let's have a huge blowout on uh what do we have legacy of the wizard hide light okay why not Ghost Lion. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I will say that Nintendo Power really did push awareness of role-playing games back before they were popular on consoles in They the pushed US. awareness, yeah, of a lot of different things. What was it called? Epic, Epic Center? Or Epic Watch? That was, that was later. Like, okay. the, uh, originally, okay. I remember, you know, kind of an issue mid-1989 or so where um, – they were just like, what is an RPG? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And I think at the time I was like, you know, a kid who read G.I. Joe comics, so I was like, it's a rocket-powered grenade. <laughs> no, it's a role-playing game. Right. And, you know, they, they talked about, you know, some of these RPGs that were coming to America, which included Hyde Lied, Legacy of the Wizard, and, of course, Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Ultima Exodus. Oh, and, oh no, not Final Fantasy, sorry. Yeah, Ultima and uh, Dragon Warrior. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of like their initial push. And, uh, you know, 
Dragon Warrior didn't work out the way they had hoped, but Final Fantasy did really well in the U.S. I think mm-hmm. it sold like half a million copies, yeah. which was more than it had sold in Japan. So, um, you know, so I really think a lot of Final Fantasy's American success had a lot to do with uh, the promotion that it got in, in, in Nintendo Power. I mean, they really pushed that game. They yeah. had their whole Summer of Final Fantasy thing with not only a standalone strategy guide, not only the contest, but also within the magazine proper. Um, they they covered it extensively through several months, yep. several several issues. Yeah, I guess lesson learned in a way, because <laughs> they did cover Dragon Warrior for a few months in a stretch, and they did make like a separate handbook that would come in an issue. But yeah, it didn't really work out the same way until they went full bore, super push. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure the I'm sure the the game itself had something to do with that because yeah. Dragon Warrior was a much more primitive looking RPG than Final Fantasy yeah. for its time. <laughs> Even after it was dressed up for yeah. the American version. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, like letting your sprite turn around is not yeah. that big a deal in the, in the grand scheme of things. Whereas Final <laughs> Fantasy, you have those really nice Yoshitaka Amano illustrations for the monsters in every battle. So, you know, right. it, it always had like this slightly more impressive look to it. And you had cute little animations, like the warrior would stand out and shake his sword at, at enemies. And, uh, yeah. It was, a, it, was a, it was a more visually appealing game for sure. Anything else, Tyler? Any other things that pop out at you? or um, A little bit later in the history of Nintendo Power. Like I said, I sure. started a little later. So mm-hmm. a lot of my memories start with, um, was it issue? It was 54, I looked it up. It was the Secret of Mana issue, actually. Mm, it was the okay. one where I started my subscription. Um, but before that, I had, like, gone, I had gravitated towards any Nintendo Power I'd found with, like, in my cousin's house or at my friend's houses or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, it was it was late 93 is when I actually started reading Nintendo Power um, Hardcore, and I had it. I think I had my subscription for like eight or nine years after that. Yeah. I do want to bring this back slightly. There was a, I forget the name of it. I'm sure you guys will know immediately. There was a Nintendo strategy guide published probably like prior to Nintendo Power, maybe around the same time. It's just black. That if, black guide. Oh, if, the NES Game Atlas. Yeah, no, was, no, oh, no, 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 no. The uh, official Nintendo yeah. Players Guide. Yes, that's it. Well, how does that, well, like, is there a relation to Nintendo Power at all there? I just am curious because I, I love that book. Well, um, it predates I, I Nintendo of Power. Book, actually. Yeah, it was also designed by the Japanese. It was mm-hmm. based on big uh, Japanese stuff there. I mean, also, like, it has a lot of a lot more broken English. It does, yeah. <laughs> it was not really well translated. And that's where they kind of revealed the return of Donkey Kong in that guide, I thought. That was where okay. it was announced. Uh, say no, yes. actually, that was... Um, was that, maybe was it was mentioned there, but it was an Nintendo Fun Club newsletter. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe that was it. But yeah. Yeah, and, and after that, they did publish, like, these Super Mario Brothers and Zelda guides. Yeah, yeah. And they, were they, were, also, they were more pocket-sized, though, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, but they were also based on Japanese bestsellers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, this Super Mario Brothers guide from uh, Tokumo Shoten was, like, you know, one of the biggest Japanese books. Were they just called how to, how to Win At? Yes. Okay, I thought yes. so. Yeah, didn't the um, – they, they also had, like, the Japanese Famicom box art for the yep. covers, right? Yeah. 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 But the the game atlas, yeah, I actually found a copy of that at half price book a few books a few years ago for just a couple dollars. Yeah, it's great. It up, but the game atlas or the the, um, the official player Nintendo player. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, and um, like I had that back in the day also, and ended up you know getting getting rid of it when I went to college or whatever. Mm. But um, like that was that was kind of uh, before Nintendo Power. Like that was your way to read about games that were a little too old for Nintendo Power to cover. Right, things yeah. like Metroid. The original Zelda, the original Castlevania. I mean, that was the that was where I really was like, I have to play Castlevania. I got I oh, saw yeah. you know ads <laughs> for 
Simon's Quest, which came out like a year after the ad started showing up. But, um, you know, then I stumbled across the, the player's guide. and was just like, man, this game looks amazing. I have to play Castlevania. That's mm-hmm. really crazy. And then it was really hard to find. So <laughs> oh. that kind of, uh, you know, fueled the obsession. I do remember, though, that no no tip or trick was too out of date for Nintendo Power because, like, up until – I remember, like, in 1990, they were publishing, like, Kid Icarus hints and, like, Mickey Mouse Capade and things like that. So when it came to, you know, these, these I guess, stumbling blocks for these old games, they weren't afraid to bring them up years later in the magazine. Mickey Mouse Capade hint, don't play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. That really – I think that speaks really to how – Evergreen, a lot of Nintendo games were, mm-hmm. especially at the height of that right. mania. Because you know, uh, like we said with the Fun Club, like the Zelda stuff stuck around for quite a while, and people were obsessing over that game for years. And so, yeah, that, that's just a nice little example of that sort of thing. Like a lot of these games would be circulated around for quite a while, and yeah, yeah, pop up I, back in the consciousness. And one the, thing, oh, sorry, oh, go, no, go ahead. Oh, one thing I saw in the first episode uh, issue that I thought was really interesting was that they actually had a guide for the second quest of the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah, which I. Looking back, I can't remember reading the first issue as a kid, but that would have blown my mind because, you know, the second quest was just a giant pain for me. Yeah. Um, and something that's considered, I guess, secret, but shown in such detail in a magazine was, it's kind of crazy to me. Yeah. It's yeah. probably like a nice part two from the Fun Club. Cover right, yeah. Have. I mean, by, by that point, um, you know, Zelda had been out for two yep. years, so, or a year and a half. So, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was time to show off the, the juicy secrets that people might not <laughs> yeah. have known about. And, uh, you know, at the same time, that gave them some Zelda coverage to kind of keep going to build up the Zelda 2 hype. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, if, if their original publishing plan had worked, Zelda 2 would have come out very soon after that. Right. And it would have been great. But, you know, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just imagine if it did. I'm imagining it now. <laughs> interviews oh my gosh Jay Leno. Uh, what's that Jay Leno uh, yeah <laughs> right. J- JD Roth I think Macaulay Culkin um, just like I don't know I feel like there was an attempt to talk to adults to show kids like 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 look look at these movie stars who play our games I think maybe like Tom Hanks or somebody like that on that mm. on that level well I guess he was not at that level in the late 80s <laughs> early 90s but there was an attempt to show that like even though the magazine was for kids Nintendo was not just for kids and mm. always in that letter section um there would be adults writing in, pictures of adults. Yeah. And uh, I think Sean Baby uh, caught up <laughs> yeah. with one of these people. No, I don't much think he caught up with life. them. I think he just made fun of them, and the guy wrote in and yeah. was like, oh. You told me I'm a loser. I think uh, his feature was called Dear Nintendo, My Life is a Goddamn Mess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's worth looking into. But like, this guy dressed up as Mario, who was an adult. And uh, yeah, and then uh, like the letter section, like things. Things released. I remember letters from Nintendo Power. I remember the guy who had who had to play Nintendo games with his feet yes. because of some condition or oh, something yeah, like yeah. that. They also had features on like um, the sip, sip and puff controller. Yes, like yeah. that wasn't that wasn't a letter, but it was you know like they would focus on these kind of like game culture and um, you know like enabling enabling technologies for people who couldn't necessarily play mm-hmm. games normally. 
Yeah, but just like uh, little anecdotes uh, along with uh, discussion of that, like the the uh, Game Boy that got blown up in Desert uh-huh. Storm and still worked, or Desert yep. Shield or whatever the hell desert it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, just things like that. Like uh, some kid wrote. I mean, I just remember letters from Nintendo Power, like the kid writing a Zelda rap that was a lot like the commercial Zelda rap. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I remember. Um, wait, what do I remember? Damn. <laughs> also, in the style of Playboy foldouts, guys, some sexy maps. <laughs> Yeah, in the posters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah, the yeah, the, the yeah, those tall posters that would, yeah have maps yeah. on the other side. Typically, the the biggest the game they would feature would be in the middle of the magazine, so that fold out map could be the maps mm-hmm. extended. Yeah, I never really, um, I never really found much value in most of those, except you know in issue two, the Transylvania map for Simon's Quest. Oh yeah, oh, wow, God, really, yeah. it really actually helped me visualize how the game fit together. So that was actually. Yeah. Even though it was not screenshots, it was like hand-drawn, you know, uh, watercolor map uh, that was all very sort of zoomed out. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that was that was really useful. So occasionally their little goofy touches had some utility to them. Yeah. A lot of that poster art, though, was like w- worse than what you find on the covers. Like, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is true. If you think that like... Mega Man 3 cover is bad, you should see some of the poster art. Yeah, I mean, like, it, was, it was clearly airbrushed. By someone who had no idea how to use an airbrush. I will say their Bart yeah. versus the Space Mutants poster was leagues better than the uh, game itself. Yeah, I like of I like the yeah. art. I mean, it was official art, I guess, but yeah. I had never seen it anywhere else. So I guess it may have been commissioned yeah. through The Simpsons or whatever. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that was just yeah. there was there was not a Bart Simpson cover though in that time. I'm surprised, really surprised by that. Yeah, even well, at yeah, the EGM had one, but Nintendo Power yeah, like, and maybe they felt like Bart Simpson was. A bad influence. Oh, that could have been it. Yeah, believe it or not, people. That was like Bart Simpson was a controversial figure. <laughs> once, once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I couldn't watch it when I was growing up. Oh my wow. Same here. Yeah. Bad influence. I watched it with my parents, so they were cool and uh, probably irresponsible. Yeah. It wasn't that my parents wouldn't let me watch it, but they were just like, mm, The Simpsons. Oh, that's, no, a, that's a rude I, television there was, show. There was dis- disapproval. I could not. I was caught watching it at my cousin's house once. It did not end well. Hmm. They mock Christian values. They did. <laughs> And our president in this time of war. <laughs> I can keep going. <laughs> All right. Lots of Ninja Turtle coverage. I, there, there's probably as many Ninja Turtle covers as there were Street Fighter covers on EGM. I, I'm kidding, of course, but I remember a lot of Ninja Turtle covers for Nintendo Power. Oh, that 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 first Ninja Turtle cover two. is a great issue. I yes, love that issue. That's true. The, uh, they did one on is that the one project? I think that was it. Are you talking about the one that's like a photograph and there's like an airbrush turtle peeking out of something? Mm. No, it's uh, all four turtles. Yeah, it's all they four. Just, yeah. yeah, I don't know what really the medium was exactly. <laughs> airbrush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but there was a lot of, I mean, a lot of Ninja Turtles coverage because Nintendo Mania and Ninja Turtles Mania overlapped. Of um, yeah. So ninjas could, in general. Yeah, ninjas in general. <laughs> Because you got the Ninja Gaiden cover with the, the white magazine, ninja. And then Ninja Gaiden Two Strategy Guide that came out later. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I love their uh, photograph of the the ninja in front of like a like a I, felt board or something. Yeah, uh, the ninja intern. <laughs> <laughs> I might have based a Halloween costume off that. I don't know. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, Nintendo Power. Uh, ran for quite a while, and it, it did evolve. I mean, we've we mostly talked about the NES era, but mm-hmm. um, you know, as Nintendo's business evolved, so did the magazine, and it it kind of matured uh, to a degree as it went into the Super NES era. And um, I, I think that's the point at which you really started to notice, like conspicuously, that oh, hey, this is about selling us stuff, <laughs> because uh, you know, 
during the the early days of Nintendo Power, there wasn't really anything to play in terms of console games besides Nintendo. I mean, yeah, there was Sega Master System, but who actually owned one of those? I, I knew one person who owned a Master System, and uh, I didn't know anyone who owned an Atari twenty or seventy eight hundred. Uh, so it was it was really like everyone had Nintendo. So it made sense to have a magazine that just focused on Nintendo. But then you know, once the Genesis came out and the Turbo Graphics oh, yeah. sixteen. It started to feel a little awkward that <laughs> this magazine was only ever talking about Nintendo games. That and, you know, that, that was um, that was their mission, but it kind of stuck out. The, the Super NES uh, Atlas or whatever it came out in that line of books was basically a sales brochure. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't offer a lot of hardcore like tip and hint coverage. It was just like, look how good these games look. The beginning of the book was like, look how more advanced our system is compared to the Genesis. And, like, everything was just, like, talking up the new system. It just really felt like a brochure, which I loved because I wanted a Super Nintendo, but yeah. it was kind of insidious, you know? Yeah, basically it was a catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Same with the Game Boy one. In a yeah. way, although it did have more maps and things. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I really feel like um, Nintendo Power's purpose sort of faded a bit once uh, Nintendo was no no longer the only player in town. Yeah. Um, yeah. As it, it went from being kind of, like, the definitive resource on video games to... Hmm, here's like some good information on some upcoming Nintendo games, but can't I read most of this in EGM yeah. or GamePro? It seemed uh, much more ubiquitous uh, during those days. Go ahead. Uh, this was also, I, I believe it was the time when they started to get the um, like the Play It Loud advertising campaign and things like that, where I can't remember what game they were advertising, but it had like this giant picture of, um, it was a two-page picture of a woman holding like your cafeteria meatloaf or something like that, and she was daring you to... I think was Super eat. Metroid. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah, I think so. It was like... some really stupid ads. Right, it was like yeah. the 90s, like in your face, you'd better do this or else you're stupid um, kind of advertising campaign, and that's, I, I distinctly remember that switch of the mag, like to that portion of the magazine where it would just start to... Uh, be a little more like, hey, play Nintendo Rolls, you're an idiot. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the point at which cl- clearly Sega had gotten yeah. under their skin. Yeah. Yeah, Nintendo was using Butthole Surfer songs <laughs> in their ad campaigns. So. Did they really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, well, actually, I think there was... Uh, I think there was sort of a bit of a conflict between the voice of the magazine and the voice of the marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ads and the TV commercials and things like that. Like, like the magazine still had to have some sort of... Uh, you know, class to it <laughs> for a while. Whereas, you know, the ads on TV are like, yeah, try to be Sega. You think that, that's because it was more tied into the Japanese publishing arm and they were a little less uh, in your face, like Gen X craziness? Well, I mean, Nintendo Power still had value in a sense in that it had, you know, the strategies and things. Mm-hmm. And so you, you put that up against, uh, I mean, you put that alongside things like as well as previews and. Uh, whatever else other coverage in the magazine. Like, yeah, you just kind of like, you can't go too far into the whole whatever is going on on TV or in other magazine ads, I think. Mm. They did start to pull back the curtain a bit more on the Japanese origins of so many of their games. I mean, that yeah. was something that they kind of alluded to occasionally in the uh, the NES days. Like, you know, they they kind of started to talk up Mother about how there's this really great game that's over in Japan, mm. and it's it's a really different kind of RPG, and the Japanese gamers love it, and we're going to be talking more about it soon because it's coming here. Yeah. And, of course, that never <laughs> happened. But, you know, there was, like, this kind of a little hint, like, oh, over in Japan, they love the role-playing games. Right. But, you know, as you got into the Super NES era, uh, especially the latter era, when releases kind of dried up for Nintendo platforms, 
they started talking more about games that were only released in Japan and showing like, yes, you can't play this. But it wasn't presented like that. It was more like, how interesting. Look at these games that are very popular in other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember from the Epic Center, yeah. was it called? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Epic Center did like a whole blowout on Marvelous, like one one issue. That's oh, right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. And much. it was their Earthbound, recurring Earthbound coverage, like two or three months worth that got me hyped for the game and uh-huh. got me to get it on day one. Just this looks so cool. But before that, they had done like a uh, four or six page feature on like, here are some crazy Japanese games mm. for Famicom. It was like, oh, here's the presidential race simulator and here's a quiz <laughs> game. It's yeah, just yeah. like, just little blurbs, but it was just like, wow, what a cool feature to have in Nintendo Power, for God's sake. <laughs> it uh, seems like, um, I'm sorry. No, no. I feel like I kind of stopped reading Nintendo Power about the time that you subscribed, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like around issue 50 or so. I remember the Mickey Mania big oh, fold out yeah. thing. And that was the last issue I actually really paid attention to. My subscription ran out. And I don't know. I just kind of had this feeling like uh, this this magazine is full of games that are just childish and I don't really care. So, uh, you know, I kind of like faded from video gaming for about a year. And then. Mm. Super Metroid came out, and I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, but, you know, Nintendo Power wasn't doing me any favors because I'd gotten older and had really kind of outgrown the magazine style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's a big part of where Sony came in around, you know, a few years after that was recognizing the fact that, you know, Nintendo t- talks to kids on their level with Nintendo Power, but they keep talking to kids, and they're not talking to people who used to be kids. So let's come in and, you know, instead of, you know, being uh, obnoxious like Sega, let's just kind of talk to grown-up kids on their own, you know, like teenagers and adults, young adults on their own level. So, um, yeah, I feel like that was a place where Nintendo Power kind of fell short. And, you know, maybe that was by design, but uh, I definitely got to a point where I felt like I had outgrown Nintendo Power, and by extension, for a while I thought, oh, I've outgrown video games. But Mm -hmm. I think it was just... That style, like that presentation, that tone. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree because when I was thinking about the years I had subscribed, I felt that exact same thing. You know, I subscribed when I was seven or eight, and I kept going until I was 14 or 15, and I let it go because that was when I was really starting to get into PlayStation games. And, you know, it was the late 90s, so it was the, the big JRPG boom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognized that Nintendo Power was not, um, not, it was the same as when I was a kid, but that's not what I wanted anymore. And so it was kind of it was kind of disappointing and kind of bittersweet, I guess, at the very end, um, to say goodbye to something that had been um, such a like a powerful force on me when I was a kid and like it encouraged me to buy all these games and to have so much fun. I mean, I read that stupid monsters in my pocket article like <laughs> it must have been at least ten times, and I can't imagine why. Um, but did you care about the toys at all? No, <laughs> I never <laughs> never wow. know anything. <laughs> wow. Yeah, those toys were weird anyways. Mm. They kind of were. Yeah, so, you know, once I realized, oh, hey, no, I do like video games after all. I haven't outgrown them. You know, I was still playing games on Super Nintendo, you know, like Super Metroid, Secret of Mana, Final Fantasy III, 
Illusion of Gaia, a lot of RPGs and a lot of kind of like more substantial stuff that I had played on on NES. But I wasn't reading Nintendo Power when I started buying magazines again. It was more like, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, but stuff like Next Generation mm-hmm. and um, you know, then on to Ultra Game Players and PSM, you know, uh, magazines that were not necessarily grown up, but that were um, definitely kind of looking at the broader picture and, and helping me to realize, oh, there is more out there than just Nintendo games, you know. And so by the time we got to the N64 era, uh, I would, you know, pick up and thumb through Nintendo Power on occasion, and it just seemed so aimless. Like, it, Nintendo seemed like such a cul-de-sac of, of video game design at that point. There were some really good NES game or N64 games, but they were pretty few and far between. And yeah. so... The, the pages were full of like gushing for ah Quest sixty four. Check out this <laughs> RPG. It's gonna be so good. Uh-huh. And you know, I totally rented it because it said that, and it wasn't so good. But. Yeah, I, I was old enough not to be fooled at that point. I um, wasn't. <laughs> so, like, there just was really no value in Nintendo Power for me. No, there was, there was so much more to gaming than there had been. You know, just you know, seven or eight years ago, before that, like when it was all Nintendo all the time. Uh, the, the world had moved on, and I had moved on. Yeah. Yeah, and also, like, right around the N64 era, like, Nintendo Power, I think, you know, it, it didn't have the Japanese influence anymore. I think it was more moving into in-house design stuff, mm-hmm. and it just turned into an ugly pile of shit. Like, every page, the yeah. background was just like a chemical toilet. It was wow. awful every time. <laughs> the colors and the and advent they, of... And um, they were still using plain photograph screenshots. <laughs> wow. Like, my it really God. bothers you, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, the combination of uh, '90s extreme colors uh-huh. and funky and hard to read fonts, and yeah. the advent of desktop publishing, where you could like sandwich stuff on top of other stuff. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. It, it made for a real eyesore. Like You're... bad, you know, like um, uh, pre-rendered. Uh, like, hey, look, we can we can make these 3D objects, and mm-hmm. they're really ug- ugly and terrible. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. we talk about my favorite act of Nintendo Power desperation in the mid-90s? Yes. Which are those videos that they sent out? Oh, oh God, sure. yeah. yeah. Those were... It felt like they were being sent out by a cult, like, you <laughs> faithful. Yeah. They were amazing, and I actually watched them the other day because I like just... Like the Donkey Kong Country? Oh, yeah, I watched Donkey okay. Kong Country 1, the Nintendo 64 one, and Star Fox 64, all of which were phenomenal in a multitude of ways. Um, but looking back on them... I can remember watching these videos as a kid. I the 60, Nintendo 64 one. I feel like I had it memorized because I was like, "Oh yeah, this is coming up next." So I must must have watched them a million times. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm watching them and I'm like, "Oh my gosh! Like this is these are one these are terrible." But two, and I apologize for anyone that actually thinks these are these are legitimately good works of art. <laughs> um, yeah. You're wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it, you know, when I was a kid, they totally worked. Um, they were in your face, and they were, you know, had bright colors. And when you're when you're nine or ten years old, that's really all you want. Um, but like I said, looking back now, I can totally see the desperation that they really were. Yeah, the <sighs> Donkey Kong Country video, I I got that for some reason. I had long since let my Nintendo Power subscription lapse, but I remember, you know, the mailer with the the pre rendered leaves yes. surrounding it all around, and uh, I. Watched like a minute of it and just said, no, I'm still going to buy this game, but God. no. I'm just imagining how much plastic they put into landfills with those campaigns. Just <laughs> Yeah, this was not like, um, you know, not like send a, out a, a, a CD or something. Yeah, an AOL no, disc. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. It was it was big, videotapes. Yeah, big VHS tapes. So quaint. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah. 
No, I hated all those videos. <laughs> Star Fox one was excruciating. Oh my gosh! Was that the one with the with the stage kidnapping or whatever? Yes, like, yeah, and, and yeah. the guys in the Sony and the um, Sega T-shirts that right, were kidnapping right. the flight. I, I don't know why he was a pilot, <laughs> but you know, and they had my, Mario in the clamp. God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm bringing up all these no, bad it memories. Does, it feels like like a cult. I've never even that, heard of these. It feels like oh. Jonestown when it's falling apart. And they're, <laughs> they're still trying to send out messages like everything's everything's fine, you right? know, or whatever. And then you get the tape in the mail. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. have not. Wait, hold on. You've never seen these? I think you need to watch them. Yeah, because they're pretty fantastic. Do I have to? No. I, I think um, you should have have a few uh, glasses of wine yes, first. If you then. want a good laugh. <laughs> right. All if right. You, if, so, you couldn't, um, if you couldn't make a minute into the, I mean, if you couldn't make a few minutes into the Donkey Kong one back then, you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna make half a minute. And right. I'm sure some poor like uh, GameStop employee had to listen to that on loop for like eight hours a day, <laughs> or clips from it. Yeah, <laughs> I just felt bad for all the uh, legitimate Nintendo employees who somehow were suckered into those videos that clearly did not want to be in it. Yeah, like Ken Lobs in there, and at least two of them, and you can tell he's feigning enthusiasm for, you know, this very awkward video. And I remember, was it the 64 one where um, one of the guys, yeah, it was 64 one where he's talking about Shadows of the Empire and he's trying to make it as, like, mainstream as possible. And he's trying to be like, look, video games are super cool for everyone, not just for nerds. Hmm. And So here's a spinoff of Star Wars. Right? <laughs> well, exactly. But they're looking at, like, he's talking about it and he calls Hoth, like, he's like, oh, yeah, and there's a level on the ice planet. And he, like, is deliberately avoiding all these Star Wars terms. And I thought it was so awkward and so forced that it just felt like he was trying to appeal to the masses instead yeah. of, like... Just I think saying, Star Wars was in the nerd ghetto at that point. You exactly. can use your laser sword right. and energy gun. <laughs> and there was a point where he actually said Starlack, and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy, oh. like, he let it slip. <laughs> He's probably taken out back. That's out of the back now. Yep. Right. Nerd. So as, as we moved into the, uh, the next decade, Nintendo Power, did anyone still read Nintendo Power at that point? Like I checked 2000, out around 2001. No, I didn't. Yeah, I dropped out. I made it into so. some of the early 100s. Yeah, so I think that was after N64 a little bit. Yeah. So we don't know anything about this era. No, not really. <laughs> it's no, the dark era, the gray era. <laughs> no one knows. I mean, I, I would see it occasionally and thumb through it, and like I would see you know coverage of Game Boy Advance games for like five year olds. Yeah, that's when think, they tried to refresh uh, it a bit, refresh the design. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely moved away from the grossness of the '90s, but mm-hmm. like the content still was, you know, like I kept moving further and further away from the content. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have anything to say about that era aside from, I mean, Nintendo was kind of irrelevant in a lot of ways in that phase. I mean, they, you know, they had the GameCube that mm-hmm. no one wanted to buy. Yeah. And they, the Game Boy Advance, which kind of kept them alive, but mainly because of Pokemon. So that's, you know, they knew where their bread was buttered and they, they went for that. But mm-hmm. I think understandably enough, you know, 2006, 2007, they finally just said, you know the hell with this. Mm-hmm. Let's stop doing this thing. <laughs> and miraculously, Future Publishing stepped in and said, we'll do it for you. And it got so much better. At least I think it did. <laughs> I was about to say, I, right. I didn't read any of the future ones. Uh, oh, you didn't read the future ones? I that, that's when I resubscribed because yeah. it, it was weird because like at that point in, in history when all magazines were dying, it's like, here's a subscription for $3 a year. I don't know why. Wow. But like Amazon was selling subscriptions mm-hmm. to everything for 3 bucks. So I got that in PC Gamer and another thing. And it was great because... I think even under Futures Watch, they published the history of Nintendo Power. I still have that book. Wow. Uh, it's in a great yeah. – and, and they pu- published like the history of Mario. They were, they were like really into – was this Future I'm thinking of? 
Yeah, Future, okay, yeah. Future yeah. did that all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah they did but, these one-offs. But that was when they had the Nintendo Power license or whatever you want to call sure, it then, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was impressed by what they did with their magazine. Yeah, it came from a different... I mean, it came from a traditional magazine standpoint because Nintendo had done things against the grain for so long. Yeah. Now you have something that works like a normal magazine with proper features, you know, quote-unquote proper, and it's like, you know, and for it feels the, more like a real game magazine. Right. And for the 20th anniversary of the Famicom um, or the NES, it was probably the NES, they had a, yeah. a great issue with, like, Sprite out on the cover. The entire book was just almost all devoted to the NES and I mean, they got, and, you know, like all kinds of people from across the industry, like Keiji Inafune to talk about Mega yeah, Man. yeah. And, just all kinds of really great stuff. Yeah, under um, uh, under Future and uh, where Chris Slate, formerly of PSM, and he was with Ultra Gamer or Ultra yep. Game Players, right? Yep. He but was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he was EIC of the magazine, um, wasn't he? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and later, I think Chris Hoffman took over. Um, but you know, they they really took sort of a like let's make this a mature sensible publication not mature in the 16 bit style <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but like just a really thoughtful well written magazine you had guys like Phil Theobald mm-hmm. who had uh, worked on Game Now uh, and left Ziff Davis like right around the time I got there like people who really knew their stuff working on these publications they had great access to western developers you know they would they would have extensive features on way forward games and things like that um it was just you know very feature heavy, very um, strong content, really good thoughtful previews, uh, reviews that actually would say, "Hey, no, this game it's actually kind of crap." They mm-hmm. would they would ding Nintendo games, first party games, which is something you never saw in Nintendo Power. <laughs> Nintendo Power is always kind of circumspect before future about um, about saying you know this is a bad game. It was always like, well, <laughs> maybe you should play a different game, or they would just you know. It's what they said yeah. through omission that, that that said the most. But but Future's version of the, the magazine actually really just, you know, they were kind of right there and very upfront about stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. it, and it ended with uh, the same cover, basically. Yes. That was fantastic. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah. way to go out. Unfortunately, at that point, I think I was just kind of – I was – I don't want to say growing out of video games, but I was kind of losing interest at that point before it was like – it uh, was rejuvenated in me. Um, so I, I totally skipped the the future um, Nintendo Power um, era, and uh, it sounds like I should be really disappointed about that. <laughs> yeah, you should you should definitely track down some of those issues. I mean, you know, like the preview content not so useful anymore, but there was a <laughs> lot of feature stuff, a lot of classic retrospective stuff. Yeah, that was just really strong. Um, they wrote smart reviews. the The design was very clean. It was a nice layout, not super sparse, but also very readable. Uh, good use of typefaces, like just you know, it was a well-made magazine. Yeah. And I, I think Bob, you kind of touched on this a little bit. You know, you said in, in an era where game magazines were fading out and mm-hmm. were g- kind of going extinct, like having a well-crafted magazine that focused just on a single platform, um, it seemed kind of like a novelty. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was still official PlayStation or PlayStation, the official magazine. Um, uh, I don't think there was an Xbox magazine at that point. Mm. Or maybe there was. I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. I thought Think OXM was still there. Okay, yeah. was it? I can't remember when they phased away. But um, actually, is OXM still around? They're still a magazine. I, yeah, I really? don't even. My wow. God, I've, I've really lost touch with magazines now that <laughs> yes. I no longer work with them. Yeah. I just agreed to a freelance assignment, so I hope they're still around. <laughs> well, wow, sorry about that. That's okay. It's all leagues at OXM. But you know what? I don't see it on newsstands. Um, yeah. I don't see any video game magazines. I, I see like PC European once magazines. In a while. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Retro Gamer, there we go. Uh, I've seen OXM on the shelf, but yeah. It's okay to feel out of touch with Xbox. 
But uh, yeah, like I said, you know, it was just um, it seemed like a real novelty, and the spirit of of Nintendo Power under Future was less, um, you know, like official PlayStation magazine where it's kind of like towing the line, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, even even under Ziff Davis when I was contributing to it, like OPM didn't really go too controversial. Um, it struck me more as like, um, you know, XBN. Mm-hmm. Ziff Davis's Xbox magazine, where they were willing to, you know, kind of go to the mats and um, state opinions that the reader base and the user base might not necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, they weren't as aggressive as uh, XBN, but you know, they still had that kind of like we're not stepping perfectly in line uh, with the 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 general perception attitude, which you know I appreciated. But then it died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would just like I said before I was so excited that they put out a history of Nintendo Power issue like like who is the market for that besides me I don't know but they did it and I bought it and I kept it I kept a few of the issues like that that are just like these really great retrospective issues or like one offs but, but here's my cynical Uh-oh. totally 100% <laughs> devil's advocate view I don't Please. necessarily agree with this but I mean it is sort of like if Nintendo Power used to talk down to kids at their level now they're now I mean then they were talking now-ish, they were talking to people who had only remembered Nintendo as kids, hmm. you know, and who may be more appreciative of that sort of retro content, let's say. Things that would remind them more of the good old days Nintendo. Yeah, but are kids really buying magazines these days? They're not. Yeah. I mean, they they knew their audience better. I mean, by the by the time Nintendo stopped publishing Nintendo Power, like, the the magazine they were running was pretty much moot because... Kids just don't want to pay money for magazines. They get all their information online. There's no need for it. So it was, you know, it made sense to kind of recalibrate to an older audience, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I yeah. think and I'm not saying that was my opinion. I'm just saying that's that's a view that could probably pop up in some respects. It's just like, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. I mean, I again, I like the the, the newest Nintendo Power for sure. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no. Uh, well, I mean, Nintendo Power originally felt like, I mean, as as it was run by the company, but it felt like a grassroots way for Nintendo advocacy to spread. But by the time the Wii was out, they right. didn't need that. It was yes. just like going on its own. The Wii right. was grassroots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prints its own money. Just like show up on the Today Show and you're you're set for yeah. life. <laughs> so are we saying that we need a new Nintendo Power? Uh, we're we're going to announce Kickstarter uh, <laughs> next month, so hang in there. Save well, the I mean, there is there is sort of a new Nintendo Power in the form of NF Magazine. That's right. Which was originally called Nintendo Force until Nintendo was like, uh, no. Mm. So oh, that really? Was just I didn't know that. I'm Well, maybe Nintendo didn't actually say, hey, guys, but for whatever reason, they decided to not to use Nintendo in their name. I think there was probably, you know... Mm. Some concern that hey, you're not actually representing us as an official, you know, licensee or product. Oh yeah, I mean, so, people thought that was what was going on, but it's really just a, a fan production, basically. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but I think it's you know at a high enough quality level, yes, that it would catch Nintendo's eye. Oh, it fooled people. Yeah, 
Right. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. no doubt why they changed their name. Yeah. But um, you know, I've read a few issues of that, and it's it's pretty good. Like it's you know definitely a fan production, but mm-hmm. you know I think that's probably what other fans want to see is you know like by us for us. Yeah, there's a weird small contingent of these Nintendo fan magazines. There's also Pure Nintendo, which is in the same vein. Yeah, I guess. I guess people there is a uh, quote unquote market for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the nature of media these days is that um, you know, aside from the really colossally huge things like you know the Avengers movie or <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. okay yeah or you know um, you know Call of Duty you know depending on what medium you want to look at uh, it really is more about sort of fragmented markets and appealing to smaller user bases. I mean, you look at television shows like Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Game of Thrones. The audiences for those, Walking Dead, are, you know, like the Nielsen ratings for those would be terrible. Like a, a major, you know, not a major, but a um, like one of the big three or big four television studios would never run a show uh, mm-hmm. with those numbers. Like if, if a show with, you know, 10 million viewers at its peak uh, had run... 20 years ago it would have been shut down instantly there would have yeah. been there's no way something you I'm know sure, like, with, uh, with with breaking bad's small market would survive but you know it's premium content for a smaller audience and that's really kind of the nature of things mm-hmm. so i i really feel like you know these little fan magazines are just kind of the next inevitable wave of publication that's mm-hmm. what we do we are uh, yeah. tiny and premium content my god <laughs> <laughs> You better pay up, people. <laughs> so we do it on an individual oh, basis. He did. So. I did. One guy. <laughs> All right. You're welcome. It's working. Um, so, are there any other thoughts on Nintendo Power? I mean, what do we what do we think is the Nintendo Power legacy besides you know like um, plasticine models of Mario running away from Wart? <laughs> well, now I'm never going to be able to forget that cover of Mega Man Three. Now that you've shown it to me, thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. It'll haunt your dreams. It really will. It, it looks actually, you know, that magazine cover. Now that I've I've thought about it. It looks like someone used the liquify filter in Photoshop, uh, but I don't think Photoshop even existed in 1988. And it I don't didn't. Think it did. So, because uh, version two no. was like, yeah. Let's, yeah, version two of Photoshop was uh, like 1992 or three. So, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's hideous. But uh, I'm curious, like the legacy. What 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 was Nintendo Power all about? What what will be its lasting impression? I think it's a good case study in uh, <clears throat> marketing and advertising. That's not just yeah. the usual same sort of routine that everyone else goes through: print ads, TV ads, this stuff, this vertical targeting towards this and that. I mean, like I said before, they really put an effort into producing something that, yeah, was probably a hugely evangelical thing at times, but uh, was grounded enough to really connect to people like us who actually yeah. had sort of like this sub nostalgia for it. So how is Nintendo Power different from uh, Nintendo Direct? I feel like Nintendo Power's mm-hmm. role has been supplanted by direct-to-consumer uh, messaging like that and by things like you know uh, gaming communities <laughs> sponsored by the publishers. It's certainly not as fun by itself. <laughs> no. I mean, part of, part of the fun of Nintendo Direct is looking at Twitter when people freak out about it. I mean, yeah. that, that's not really the same thing, but that is like the evolution of this in a way. But yeah, I mean, it's it's developed its own kind of culture, like, please understand. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, the Nintendo Direct yes. symbol or sign or whatever that Iwata does. Chocolates. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, I, oh. that, that's, yeah, that's what it's boiled down to. And that's like their 
their whole effort in that vein. In that yeah. vein now. I, I think it's kind of interesting to look at it as, you know, direct is a five to ten minute video that people consume probably once, maybe, you know, a bunch of times if you're going to get really critical mm-hmm. of it and like take, you know, screenshots and all that fun stuff. But like I said, when I was a kid, Nintendo Power was something that I read multiple ta- mm-hmm. times. I went back through it and I just read it again and again and again. Um, and granted, I was a reader to begin with. Um, but, you know, nowadays I would never consider watching a Nintendo Direct. And I don't think kids nowadays would consider watching a Nintendo what Direct. What if they announced times. a new monster in my pocket? Oh. <laughs> oh, you know, maybe. Yeah. If they had lots of gameplay Wait, footage. you're saying kids don't watch a Nintendo Direct? No, I'm saying multiple times. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it, so they would probably watch it once and then they'd probably be, you know, move on with their lives and it. they'd get really excited. They're too yeah, busy monetizing their YouTube channels. Oh, this is a good point, yeah. yeah. Or just complaining about whatever happened on V. Oh. V? V? <laughs> The Four miniseries? Time. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So going to V and complaining. I see. Yeah. Well, I want. I don't know. Like, I mean, other publications existed before Nintendo Power, but I think they showed the possibilities of having such specialized content where it was, I mean, I don't think a kid would have picked up like Computer Games Magazine or whatever, but it was just like a very approachable way to to give a child this mastery over something that they're very interested in. And I think as kids, that's, that's, what, kid, that's what kids are into. If they're into something, they want to be, oh, okay. If kids are into something, they want to be have a mastery of that knowledge, whether it's like dinosaurs or bugs or like dogs or cats or whatever. So I think that's what it appealed to, just like, and I think that's why it started at uh, at bi monthly because the idea of having that come out monthly was probably preposterous, but you know they eventually realized that the market was there. Right, right. Um, as for myself, I agree with everything you guys said, and I think also um, Nintendo Power is unique because at least you know sort of the early issues did kind of. Um, become their own culture, become their sort of uh, own entry in the pop culture lexicon. I mean, if you are a gamer of a certain age, such as we are, um, <laughs> and you owned a Nintendo Entertainment System, chances are really good that you read several issues of Nintendo Power over the years and that you got a lot of your information from it. And um, it does have this, like, I can't think of any other publication that has that kind of allure and that kind of potency um and certainly you know like game fan magazine has diehard fans people love next gen from the classic days but there is this extra little something that um you know no at least in the u.s no other game publication had and um um you know i think maybe in the uk i don't know which magazines were really big over there maybe they had some of that um I feel like Japan never really kind of had that. Like Famicom or Famitsu is uh, sort of like the Goliath over there. But I don't know that people have like sort of this personal connection to it. I could be wrong, but I think they kind of do. And I think they do to Family Computer Magazine, which uh, of course was this the the seminal version of Nintendo Nintendo Power, because they all had shared elements. I mean, in terms like um, you know the staff as characters and that sort of thing, Hmm. lots of comics and strategy and stuff. I'm sure I'm I'm pretty sure that's yeah that still goes on. In fact, there are books about like the history of uh, Family Computer Magazine. Okay, that I have. Then I stand corrected. A lot of recollection and stuff. So Nintendo Power is unique in America, maybe not the (laughs) Mm -hmm. rest of the world, and that's fine. I mean, it's it's good that you know (laughs) Japan's always better. It's good that I, you know, I think that this thing does exist. Yeah. Um, you know, if it weren't for Nintendo, then for some other, you know, platform or company, it'd be great. I'm, I'm just glad that it's there, and you know, I'm glad that to some degree I was part of it, not as a, you know, participant, but just as 
an audience and you know someone whose memories and impressions were shaped to a degree by this publication. I I don't know how much Nintendo Power inspired me to want to be a writer and uh, you know someone covering video games, but there definitely was some motivation there. I remember you know talking to my friends when I was a kid and saying oh, it'd be really cool to you know like when I grow up, what I want to do is write about video games, and they thought that I was totally stupid, <laughs> and maybe they were right. But here I am anyway, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I think Nintendo Power had a part in that. So that's for me. That's you know that's that's pretty meaningful. Anything else? Um, I actually think it would be really interesting um, to hear about the impact of Nintendo Power um, from the developer side because being such the you know the, oh, yeah. the huge marketing push mm-hmm. that it was on us, you know I, I wonder was there uh, were the developers striving to be in Nintendo Power was like that a thing like. You know, if you've made Nintendo Power, you've made the cover story. Like, you have made it, and this is an awesome game. Mm-hmm. I want to know how Taito got that Vice Project Doom cover. Right. <laughs> was that Taito, right? Uh, um, or Jalico? No, it wasn't Taito. I thought it was. It was Sammy. Sammy, okay. Uh, but yeah, for sure. I, I mixed up I, that. Taito was Power Blade. Yeah. And they also got a cover. What about Shatterhand? Different. Shatterhand was <laughs> Jalico. Those yeah. are all the same game in my mind. <laughs> they are. <laughs> They're, I call them prototypes. Yeah, That's, yeah. Well, they're like early bro games. At least three of those were developed by Natsume. So. Oh, oh damn. Oh, wow. Uh, they got on the cover the same way I got on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what was the – okay, before we go, I want to say what was the least um, – the most surprising Nintendo Power cover? Like why, why is this here? Hmm, I yeah, think we went over this a little bit. There was like their self-professed infamous one that they did on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The game didn't come out for like another year or so. <laughs> right, I had that issue too. Yeah, um, because I think it was then they were going to retool it to be to look more like the movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like WWF Super WrestleMania. I was kind of <laughs> I was kind of blindsided by their We've Star their Star Trek uh, 25th anniversary. Oh yes, cover. Man, I don't even remember that. Yeah, this was like yeah. 91 uh, when the game came out for NES. Huh. Um, just like the Starship Enterprise on the cover. I'm like Star Trek. What the hell? <laughs> Okay. Tyler, show them what you just showed me. I just found the WrestleMania cover, and it's no, quite it, terrifying. It's a newer one. Yeah. If I was, uh, over, yeah, I, was, I was over by that point. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't remember this one at all, but uh, it's scary. That works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, geez. Yeah, I, I can't I, – I don't know. I feel like the really crappy ones are ones that I've blinked out of my mind. But mm. I did find the um, the Nintendo Fun Club newsletter sports issue – Pretty disappointing because I don't care about sports games mm-hmm. at all. And, and even then, like, I didn't care about sports games. And I was like, what is this crap? I want more Zelda. What, yeah. what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and I will say uh, Mario Mania Guide is one of the coolest things ever. You should buy it. It also contains a Super Mario World Strategy Guide. But all this all the supplementary info about Mario, like as a, as a character, which I feel like at First, that point, there was enough oh, there's enough to him to, to write a guide about his him as a person. Yeah. First time I knew about uh, the Lost Levels or what was mm-hmm. or what would be the Lost Levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also revealed that uh, Miyamoto wanted Yoshi in a game before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And a little sketch of that, too. Yeah. And it had a little breakout on uh, Mar- the Mario movie now in production. Get ready, kids. <laughs> yeah. Get ready. Bob Hoskins. Yeah. <laughs> I think, unless it was still DeVito and, uh, you know, whoever else. Wow. Mm. Um, yeah, for me, I, I really liked the Link to the Past guide that had all this, like, really weird supplemental information about Kokuri culture. Not Kokuri, but Kilian mm. um, culture. Yeah, yeah. Ah, like, yeah. it was yeah. totally just a load of BS filler, but it was just, like, the fact that they would go to this length to write about, like, these, you know, like, create a backstory for these items. That's really interesting. I bet someone worked that into the timeline. 
Probably. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not my favorite issue. It's just w- something that really struck me as being remarkable. But um, I would say that the uh, the one two combo of the official players guide and the NES Atlas, mm. which are like to me two parts of a whole, um, yeah. those were those were definitely something that I spent a lot of hours poring over and mm-hmm. obsessing over. So yeah. Anyway, any final words? I love Nintendo Power. Well, there you go. Up to a point. And then, yes. <laughs> then I like it again later. <laughs> I think we all agree. Yeah. yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, Tyler Castro, thank yes. you so much for yes, supporting indeed. this yeah, episode and for sitting in on it. Uh, thank you for having me and for listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> not that you said that much. I don't, um, think it was, I don't think it was too much of a burden for anyone. I hope not. <laughs> I want to make one footnote. I was talking about like how there were anecdotes about the making of Nintendo Power stuff. Uh, that came from uh, Frank Zafalde's article on Kama mm-hmm. Sutra uh, a couple years ago. I just wanted to give him proper credit for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, that. Um, when when I was researching this episode, his blog posts on One Up about the uh, yeah. Fun Club newsletter were also invaluable. Thanks, Frank. Yes. So put any combination of those words that I just said into Google, and you'll probably find that. Yes. <laughs> Frank Zafalde, Nintendo Power. There you go. Um, all right, so that's it for this episode, episode uh, 19 of Retronauts, Volume 3. I'm the host, Jeremy Parrish, and on behalf of Bob and Ray and Tyler, um, thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on Facebook as Retronauts and Twitter as Retronauts and Twitch TV and on SoundCloud and at Retronauts.com where you'll find the show notes for this episode. And go to iTunes and tell the world that we're amazing because you love us and you want to give us a five-star review. T-shirts. Oh, and if you would like to buy T-shirts, you can buy T-shirts. Summer's just around the corner, folks. That's right. Let your freak flag fly. (laughs) Get yourself a Retronauts T-shirt. And I think that's all our housekeeping. So thanks again and join us next week when we talk about something totally different or not. (laughs) 